Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. My name is Jacob Barr, and in this episode, we're sharing footage captured for the Abortion Museum. Um, so I became pro-life actually in law school. Um, before that, I always believed I would never have an abortion. So I believe there is a moral weight to abortion, but I wasn't going to prevent other women. In fact, two of my roommates in college had abortions that today grieved me very much that I didn't step in and do something about it. But in law school, in constitutional law, we were studying Roe versus Wade. And I had just recently had a whole Christian uh, rebirth in my life where all these things were coming more alive. And in the decision itself, the justices say, we do not need to determine when human life begins. And you know, I'm a pretty much stupid 20 year old in law school, not really knowing what she's doing there. And I'm like, uh, uh, professor, wouldn't that be the question they should answer? Like if human life begins at a certain point, that's when rights attach to human life. And then this would be an easy case to decide. Maybe not easy to live with, maybe still messy, but still very clear and certain how it should be decided. And I was at a Jesuit law school and I raised my hand and said that and I had like 250 other students just jump down my throat for even asking that question. And that was a huge revelation to me and it was from that point that I dedicated my life to trying to protect the unborn and advocating for them. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So, so question one, when does new human life begin? Well, it's very clear. There was a, an amicus brief filed in the Dobbs case by 450 biology, biology ethicists from around the world that, and they, their testimony in this brief is it's a 100% scientific fact that human life begins at conception. No debate about it. Uh, even the pro-abortion uh, scientists believe that. So that question is clear. If human life begins at conception, that's when the rights attach to it. The right to life, the right to continue uninterrupted, to grow and prosper, etc. Someone, oh, I think that's a cleaning lady walking by our door. She's probably gonna open the door right next to us in like ten seconds. <laughs> What's that? Oh, if we could ask her to delay this. Yeah, maybe have her work on the far side or different floor. Yeah. That'd be super cool. I don't know if that'd be an option. Do we have to reshoot that one, or was that good? I think it was good. I just know that... Um, I heard a thump, but I'm pretty sure I can clean it up. Yeah. That was really good. That was really good. We're just, like, thinking about... Like, every time someone opens a door, we're like, how is that going to impact the audio? Right. <laughs> it's funny, because last night we thought by doing it later, it would help us. But it was actually oh, coming in no. the room. Yes. The rooms. And the door shut so loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is actually, a, this is probably a good time to shoot one. Mm-hmm. What time do we have Father Frank at 12.30? Um, 
No, we're going to push him to three because Angie's going at one. That's right. Okay. Oh, cool. good. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. Here we go. Oh, and the goal is that if you can, um, so when it comes to length, shorter is okay. Okay. Am I going too long? No, no not necessarily. Okay. Good, good um, we're just saying, like, if, if you if you think about, like, if, if being succinct is perfectly fine. Okay. Um, question two. What words do medical professionals typically use to describe whatever it is that's inside the pregnant mother? Uh, what is it exactly that gets aborted? Yeah, I mean, from the pro-life worldview, right? The, the worldview that values human life. From the beginning, it's, it's a, a tiny baby growing, no matter what you call it. The abortionists and the pro-abortionists call it lots of things, products of conception, a blob of tissue, a fetus, really trying to dehumanize that person. Please, uh, question three, please share about some of the development milestones as that tiny, wait, am I asking you the wrong question? You're asking the medical question. I am so sorry. I'm asking you the medical question. That's supposed to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let me apologize. I was able to answer, but yeah. So yeah. I, 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 I apologize. I'm like, he's going off record. Here, I went off record. Yes, I got my legal okay, questions here. Have you been reading? Have you been prepping with the medical questions or the legal questions? Medical, uh, legal. Yes, okay. I am okay, so good. sorry. Well, we are professional. We we totally know. Oh, so I know you are. These are medical. These are the medical. These are medical, not. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I was looking at the medical questions. I can fake it. Well, be better to catch it early than... Yeah, yeah stop it right now. No, just... That's fine. Yeah. All right, back to really question one. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, now I'm going to have to pull out my Declaration of Independence. Okay. Yeah. I, I apologize for going the wrong question. I did get sleep last night, so I have no excuse. Oh. <laughs> no, I did it. Oh, did you did? Yeah, oh. yeah. I don't know when... Yeah. All right, question one. What are the rights, whether civil rights... I'm sorry, what are rights? whether civil rights, human rights, or some other kind of right, and does abortion qualify as one or more of these rights? Yeah, very interesting question, what are rights? You know, in America, we look at our foundational document, the Declaration of Independence, for the basic rights that we all have as human beings, and this is what it says. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are the foundational rights for every person. Awesome. D um, does legal equal moral? In other words, does legality entirely define morality? Absolutely not. There are laws that are passed and, and decisions made by courts that are just outright wrong. Morality comes from our Creator, and from Him, He reveals what is right and wrong. And as human beings, when we pass laws or make decisions, we can really stray far from that. Uh, look, for example, Roe versus Wade was the law of the land for 50 years, but it was an unjust law had nothing to do with morality. Awesome. Excellent answer. Question three. 
The Dobbs decision, what is it and why does it matter? The Dobbs decision was a case out of Mississippi that challenged Roe versus Wade. And it made its way up to the Supreme Court and they took it and decided to overturn Roe versus Wade. It was an incredible day, one I didn't think I'd live to see because Roe had been in place for 50 years and we weren't sure what the court would do. But the Dobbs decision uh, out of Mississippi, uh, thank God for those faithful legislators and advocates and the Attorney General and the Governor from Mississippi for um, challenging Roe in that way. Awesome. What was Roe versus Wade? And in your legal opinion, was it, legal, was it a legally sound decision, constitutional, evidentially strong, responsible jurisprudence, etc.? Roe versus Wade was the most egregiously decided opinion, and those are the words of the <laughs> majority opinion in Dobbs, ever in America. Um, it was wrongly decided. When you read the backstory of it, there's several studies now uh, on the back papers behind the Supreme Court decision in Roe. It was completely t political and to get to a decision that the liberal justices wanted. Um, it came out of this right of privacy in, in the Constitution that they interpreted out of nothing and made up and expanded to encompass a right of a woman to have an abortion. And thank God the court in Dobbs uh, set the record straight um, and removed it from our constitutional language. Up until recently, the Roe versus Wade decision, oh, question five. Up until recently, the Roe versus Wade decision basically got all the attention when people talked about federal abortion policy and Supreme Court rulings. Roe was the reference point. Obviously, the Dobbs decision changed the conversation. But are there other landmark abortion cases that people should know about? Well, there's definitely things that have been happening since Dobbs uh, overturned Roe. Until then, Roe ruled, so we didn't have a lot of leeway. Um, since Dobbs, now we have the FDA case out of the Fifth Circuit dealing with the abortion pill and how the FDA wrongly approved it. Um, we have a lot of other cases surrounding abortion that involve First Amendment rights, like the Nifla versus Becerra case that was decided back in 2018, where the state of California was trying to force pregnancy centers there to convey a message that violated their conscience, basically referring women to abortion. So we see a lot of uh, First Amendment cases surrounding the abortion, what, what were required to say. Um, also conscience protection laws. There's a case coming out of Illinois. We're waiting for a decision any day now where we'll see if they're going to protect the conscience protection um, requirements for pro-life physicians and medical providers, whether they have to participate in an abortion by referring and by also um, telling the benefits of abortion to our patients. Awesome. Thank you for sharing on that. Question six. Some say abortion was legal in the U.S. until religious activists started getting involved through the 
American Medical Association around 1860. That, they say, is when states started banning abortion. In other words, abortion choice wasn't controversial before about 1860. Is that even correct? And was abortion legally and morally uncontroversial before that time? Uh, that is incorrect. The, there's a great book by Marvin Olasky and Leah Savis about the history of abortion from the beginning of America. And states actually protected the life. They assumed the life inside the womb was deserving of protection. Um, and they prosecuted the men that would make these women victims and force them to have abortions. So I would recommend that book to, to uh, people who have any question about the history of abortion in America. In the 1970s and 80s, legislators tried and failed to pass a personhood amendment. Mm. <clears throat> Would you explain that strategy, what came of it, and whether it is still an option? I think that will always be an option. I think that's our ultimate option, right? We want the human being developing inside the womb to be protected as a person under the Constitution. How we get there is going to take a long road. Uh, it, I probably will take a constitutional amendment, which is a very long road, and it's going to take us on the streets in daily conversations and us in pregnancy centers talking to women every day about the value of the human life inside their womb. Question eight. Do you want any water? Are you okay? Okay. okay. Question eight. Glass of wine. <laughs> we don't have that. Go Mario. <laughs> Cut that out. I was trying to think of like a pun of like, well, if Jesus now was here. Now I'm going to take water. <laughs> you could turn a glass of water into wine. I thought you were going to say, question eight, would you like any water? No. <laughs> question nine. <laughs> okay. Demo uh, question eight. Democrats seem to be united in the pro-choice camp and Republicans in the pro-life camp. Is that correct? And how have the party party's views on abortion evolved over the years, say from 1972 forward? That's definitely correct today. I mean, the Democratic platform is pro-abortion. The Republican platform is still pro-life, but it's being challenged. So it's not really a party issue. It's a human life issue. Good. Um, I don't want to move that too much forward. Um, Question nine, how, is the, how has the wider abortion debate in America evolved slash changed in the last 50 years or so, and then also in the last five to 10 years? Well, I think the, the general idea, even among Democrats, right, was let's make abortion safe but rare, legal but rare. And now the the dialogue from them has changed. They're celebrating their abortions. They're declaring abortion as a reproductive right. Um, so that has changed substantially. Um, for the pro-life pro side, our message has always been the same. You know, human life is valuable. Every little human being created is in the image of God. And we need to protect the vulnerable. To the best of your knowledge, is the anti-abortion pro-life lobby outmatched in terms of financing, 
influence popularity compared to the abortion choice, pro-choice lobby? I feel like we're totally unmatched. I think it's pretty much like Goliath and David, right? They're big. They got the media. They got a lot of legislative power. They have a huge voice. Uh, and we're like David coming along with five stones, right? But we know how that ended. And that's how this will end too. There will be victory because God is in this. God wants his creations to be protected. So Goliath will soon be laying on the ground and conquered. That's awesome. What are some of the most effective legal arguments for abortion? And then the same question for you know, against abortion. Uh, in my opinion, there's no effective argument for abortion. There never could be because it's a taking of a human life. So our argument is, on the pro-life side, you, you cannot take another human life. I mean, yes, it's inside the womb, so they say, oh, my body, my choice, you know. But it's technically a separate, distinct human being that's valuable. And instead of encouraging women to get rid of it, let's empower them to have that baby. Empower them if they want a parent, if they want a place for adoption, give them options. That's good. Question 12. Explain the abortion choice argument, my body, my choice. Is this bodily autonomy, bodily sovereignty, and is it a sound argument? Well, it, it's complicated, right? Because the unborn child is developing for at least nine months, around nine months, inside a woman's womb. So it is complicated. But because of the residence of the unborn child and the age of the unborn child, we can't discriminate against it and take its life. So instead, we should be doing things that empower women, first of all, to not get pregnant, to value their bodies enough to have sexual integrity in that regard. And then if they do become pre pregnant, enable them to go through those nine months protecting and valuing the unborn child rather than taking the quick solution and erasing that child from life. Question, how are we doing on time when it comes to the recording? 11.22. I mean like on here. Oh. Suppose we have 10 more minutes before ten we have to, okay, perfect. Okay, um, question 13. Some argue that pro-choice policy is an extension of the First Amendment, separating church and state. In other words, they say churches and their religious laws have no business telling women what they can or can't do with their bodies. Is this a correct application of the First Amendment? So there are religious arguments for the value of, of life, right? Um, but there are also scientific arguments. Like I said earlier, ethicists, biologic, biology ethicists are unanimous that human life begins at conception. It has nothing to do with religion uh, if you don't have that viewpoint. If you have the viewpoint uh, from a biblical 
perspective, then yeah, it even emphasizes more the value of that human life. So it has nothing to do with church state. And it's, it's not, you know, the church keep your hands off my body at all. It's let, let's value all human beings, no matter if they reside in the womb or not. Perfect. 14. Some argue that abortion choice policy has parallels to slavery, dehumanizing oppressed people group, or uh, oppressed people groups, legalized evil, etc. Is there a valid analogy between abortion and slavery? What guidance or caution would you recommend for anyone using this analogy? I think there can be an analogy. Um, we had to be very careful there. I mean, both were huge atrocities, right, against crimes against humanity. Um, and I actually had done a speech a long time ago on Abraham Lincoln, you know, how he fought slavery and his words, but use them in the pro-life context. And can we use his arguments against slavery um, in the pro-life context? And they're, they're perfect. Like, for example, Abraham Lincoln said, if slavery is not wrong, nothing is wrong. And that's true about abortion. If abortion is not wrong, nothing is wrong. Well, that's powerful. Um, number 15, pivoting to another legal relevant issue in the abortion debate. What is the Equal Rights Amendment? How close was it to passing? Why hasn't it been passed yet? And in your view, does equality mean, between men and women mean identical treatment in every sphere of society, including the freedom to walk away from an unwanted pregnancy? Yeah, the attempts to pass that have been going on for decades, right? And of course, I believe in equal rights for women, right? Um, but I also think there's a distinction, and it doesn't mean for me to be equal with a man, I have to be exactly like a man, like I can't be pregnant. Like for example, the, the Olympic athlete who was pregnant and she was a track star, none of the, she, she got dropped from all her um, uh, marketing groups that supported her because she was pregnant and they thought it would affect her, not make her strong enough. So she said, I'm still doing it and I'm gonna create my own line. And she went and in that year won nine medal gold, nine gold medals, I think it was, running in the Olympics. She had her baby, she was fantastic. That's what equal means. Like, look at women. We have the gift of being able to have life be placed inside us and grow and, and give birth to a new life. That should be treasured. Uh, it's, it's something men don't have. Uh, and making men and women equal shouldn't be taking that away. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. There, 16, there are laws, oh, how are we doing on time? Is it 24? Uh, 22. Okay. Um, number 16, there are laws in the books Oh wait, this is the if there were laws in the books, right, John? So it, this, uh, if there were laws in the books against death profiteering, this is the I, I don't know what the rest of the sentence is. I, I oh. can't tell you if it, In your view, would abortion qualify as, so 
So like, I think the idea, the death, prof, death profiteering doesn't exist on the books, right? Can you just ask the question and I'll tell you how I would edit it? Oh, I might have just sent it to you wrong. And we give us a clap, Isaac. Thank you. Um, there are laws on the books against death profiteering. In your view, would abortion qualify as death profiteering? And would that connection qualify as a viable federal law banning for-profit abortions? Well, that's certainly an interesting question. Um, the abortionists definitely profit from uh, performing abortions. Um, so it might be something to look into in the future. Perfect. Uh, number 17, does abortion qualify as a crime against humanity? I absolutely call it a crime against humanity. It's one of the greatest. And I think one day the world will recognize that and regret it. Number 18, is abortion law in policy for sale to the highest bidder, irrespective of what's right, good, or true? I think we really have to cling to what is right and true, right? It's clear human life begins at conception. So we really can't compromise. Now there's always give and take, and it might be a little incremental, but we can't compromise on the very truth that human life from the moment of conception deserves protection and should be valued. Number 19, abortion has sometimes been described with extravagant language like genocide and Holocaust. Legally speaking, is this language more or less correct? And then, is it helpful? Are there contexts where you would use this language and others where you would not use, use it? Well, I think uh, in the future, time will tell. I think the history books will look back on this period of just rampant abortion internationally as a horrendous time. Um, the, question 20. There is a debate in the anti-abortion camp between abolition, abolitionism and incrementalism. Mm. Would you explain these two positions and what difference it makes? Yeah, the abolitionists are on the extreme side, no compromise at all, and they even sometimes don't like how pregnancy centers handle things because we know the woman has a choice and we are there to help her, empower her to make a choice for life. Um, the incrementalists are interested in going slowly at chipping away from abortion but the problem with that is if you get stuck in one increment and never proceed, which is pretty much what's happened internationally. So we have to have a balance. I think we need both sides so we can get to a balance of where most Americans uh, will feel comfortable. And that is recognizing and valuing all human life. And the <coughs> last question is 21. What would you like to say about the legal history of abortion that you are not asked about? So abortion is, is very complicated. I think we'll have lots more opportunities in the future to make law in this area. 
It takes a long time to bring cases uh, to the Supreme Court. So in the meantime, I think we have to be working on an individual basis with our neighbors, with our families, helping pregnancy centers who are daily empowering women to choose life and spread the good news about um, the positive aspects of being pro-life. Awesome. And that's, John, do you have anything? Uh, oh, I didn't know I was going to be asked. I would have thought well, of something. Well, we have Anne and you both in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> let's see. Maybe something along the lines of, do you sense any kind of disconnect um, between uh, different factions of the pro-life movement that you think, from a legal perspective, um, might be handicapping the cause? Um, but that's kind of broad. I don't know. Um, I've got a question. For, I'll, I'll buy you I, three minutes. Well, well I'm, I'm interested in any other um, pro-life cases that, um, besides Roe and Dobbs, because um, we're going to try to cover everything. We're going to try to have at least some reference to anything that bore upon abortion choice policy in America. So um, uh, let's see, Casey, um, some of the, the earlier uh, ones about contraception, mm -hmm. um, I think they argued it on the basis of uh, you know, indecency laws were, were over, were, were too much, and, and that was kind of um, used to sort of bust up a... a well, let's, let's do the... But I don't remember the names of any of the cases. Mm -hmm. um, Anne, would you tell us a little bit about uh, NIFLA versus Becerra? Mm -hmm. I think that might be, that, that'd be a good one for that'd us be a good to one feature for here, right? Mm -hmm. You could yeah. tell us about, you know, what it is, and then just share your thoughts on NIFLA versus Becerra. Mm-hmm. So Nifla versus Becerra was a case out of California. In 2015, California passed a law that said pregnancy centers, pro-life pregnancy centers, had a post assigned in their waiting room in up to 13 different languages, depending on the county, that said, hey, you may be entitled to a free abortion or a low-cost abortion, call this 800 number. And so in some counties, like in LA County, it would plaster an entire wall having signs like that. And it had to be in a certain font and all that. And so that's compelling us to give a message that we disagree with, right? Classic First Amendment case. And right away, um, we sued on behalf of all our, we have over 100 centers in California and ADF represented us. And we sued for an injunction and we lost at the district court. They didn't give us the injunction which we were shocked at. So it got appealed to the Ninth Circuit. They ruled against us, right? Uh, which we were shocked at, because it's clear First Amendment <laughs> protection. So it got appealed up to the US Supreme Court, and 8,000 cases a year get appealed to the Supreme Court, and they take 1% of the cases. And our chances of getting there were slim. <laughs> so we were hopeful, and we, and we had centers across the nation praying because if California got away with this, you know New York was gonna do it next, Vermont, Illinois was just chomping at the bit, Maryland, et cetera, 
right? So on that great day that we learned that the Supreme Court took our case, we were just praising God. The oral argument came and it was fascinating. Um, we were there, of course, and Mike Ferris from ADF represented us. And then the decision came down a few months later and uh, Clarence Thomas wrote our decision, our decision. So as soon as we heard he was the author of our decision, we knew we won because Clarence Thomas is a strict uh, interpreter of the Constitution and values what the First Amendment says about compelled speech. And so it was a great day, not only for NIFLA and for pregnancy centers, but for the First Amendment. And it's been cited more than 2,000 times since then, protecting just First Amendment rights across the board. So it was a great day. Um, it is a basis for our uh, challenge in Illinois, where they're trying to force um, medical providers to make a direct referral to an abortionist and also to counsel our patients on the benefits of abortion. Of course, there are no benefits of abortion. So we're citing NIFLA versus Becerra to support us in that case, and that judge will be deciding that case uh, hopefully in the next month. Rise and build.